Hi, friend. Welcome to Holly's Highlights, a podcast designed to encourage, inspire, and equip you to intentionally live your life full of purpose. I'm your host, Holly Kirby, motivational speaker, leadership cultivator, marketing strategist, and personal cheerleader. Let's check out today's highlight. This episode brought to you by Healing Nations. Are you looking for ways for your church to show compassion and promote God's justice? Healing Nations exists to create long-term partnerships between North American churches and indigenous ministries and churches around the world. Through holistic discipleship and cross-cultural engagement, we facilitate opportunities for the transformation that comes from obedience to live out all that Jesus commanded. Visit us at HealingNations.net for more information. My dad is very passionate about missions and truly reaching out across the world and helping others in need. I love watching to see where he gets involved. But recently, he was sharing with us about one of the nonprofit organizations he's helping called Mercy Ships. Now, he is such a supporter and advocate for Mercy Ships that he was telling our family all about it and even has their book circulating in our family to read more. Well, as a result, my daughter started doing research on Mercy Ships and she too fell in love with their mission and the positive impact that they're making in truly just changing the lives of people who would otherwise have no hope of healing and help that they so desperately long for. In fact, she started donating to Mercy Ships and she even received a t-shirt in the mail. And my dad was quite envious. So needless to say, we have a shirt coming on in his way too. So (laughs) he'll get that soon. But I I thought I'd check in to to whatever my daughter's heart was so captivated by that here she is at 14 years old, and she was donating a good amount each month. She still is to help such a cause. And I got to tell you, I can see why she felt led to give. After learning more, I found that uh, globally, 5 billion people lack access to safe surgery. In fact, children's teens and adults suffer and die every day from treatable causes. And one child in eight, that's one child in every eight children will die before the age of five. Mercy Ships deploys hospital ships to combat this overwhelming statistic, and since over 50% of the world's population lives near a coast, their ships are the best way to reach them with state-of-the-art medical care. I tell you, if there was ever an organization to get involved in, this is one. I reached out to Mercy Ships and was thrilled when they accepted my invitation to come on Holly's Highlights. I truly feel so honored to have them with us today. In fact, Lori Blackburn is with us. And since 1994, she and her family, her husband, Brian, and they have twin daughters, Addison and Alyssa, they have been serving as volunteers with Mercy Ship, whether it be on board ships, as well as at their international office in Texas. Her husband, Brian, is a teacher by profession, and so he's worked in various roles in the Mercy Ship Academy, which is the school for the shipboard families. Over the years, Wari has held a variety of leadership positions, most recently serving as the managing director of the Africa Mercy, which she did that, I believe, from 2017 to 2020. Now, currently, uh, she serves, her and her family are serving at the international office, where her husband continues to do the work with the ship school program, but Wari is in the chaplaincy department of the staff and crew. So welcome, Wari. I am so excited to have you join us today. 
Thank you, Holly. I'm really glad to be here with you. Thank you for that great introduction. Now, I have so many questions and so much I hope you're able to share with our listeners today. So let's just dive right in. Will you tell us an overview of what Mercy Ships is and and then what we all are probably wondering, and, and that is how did Mercy Ships come to be and where did that vision originate? So Mercy Ships is a, is a faith-based charity that originated, uh, well, the, the vision of what has become Mercy Ships started in the 1960s, really, with our founder. Uh, his name is Don Stevens. Don and his wife, Dion, uh, were involved in missions work as young people. And Don developed a real heart of compassion for those who were suffering and in need. And as a young man in missions, he sensed a call to try to address that need. And he began to, to have a vision for a ship. And he felt that if there could be a ship that would serve those in need, that that, that could be a unique way to re- to provide relief uh, to those who were were needing it. Wow. So he began to pray about that and talk about that with, with his contacts. And in the 1970s, he was able to acquire our first uh, mercy ship called the Anastasis. Uh, it was it was an old retired Italian cruise ship that he was able to purchase uh, for pennies on the dollar. And that ship was eventually converted into what became a hospital ship. In 1978, Mercy Ships acquired the first ship called the Anastasis. And in the years following that, then we acquired some additional vessels, which were also refitted to eventually become medical and relief uh, vessels to to provide relief and, and assistance to those in need around the world. Don's original vision was to to be able to provide immediate relief to those in emergency and, and kind of disaster situations. And it, it, at one point, we've had four, as many as four ships in operation around the world. But over the years, we've also discovered that ships are expensive to operate and need to be used strategically. And so we have a board of directors, and over the years, the board of directors made a decision that that they wanted to have larger vessels uh, with more capacity rather than smaller ones. And so some of the smaller vessels that we've operated in the past have been retired, and we've made a a sort of strategic decision to move towards uh, more sophisticated, larger vessels that are capable of providing very specialized surgical care to those in need. And so we're not really providing immediate relief in disaster situations as much as, as what was originally sort of envisioned. But now we've moved towards providing specialized surgical care to those who don't have access to those kinds of, of procedures in the countries in which they live. How many ships do you have currently activated then? So as you mentioned, my husband and I lived on a ship called the Africa Mercy for the past three years. And um, the Africa Mercy has been the only ship that's been in operation since 2007. At that time, the the Anastasis was retired. The other ships had also been retired at that time. And then we also began construction of a new ship called the Global Mercy that we are very excited about. And the Global Mercy has been under construction. It's a new a new construction project. All of the ships, including the Africa Mercy, that we have operated over the the 40 years that we've been doing this, have been refitted vessels that previously had another purpose. The Global Mercy is different because the Global Mercy has been built from the keel up to be a specialized surgical ship. Uh, and so we're very excited about that one. And that that ship has just been delivered to us by its shipyard. And it's in the process right now of sailing to Europe where it's going to uh, embark its first crew. 
and we hope to have the Global Mercy in service uh, sometime early next year. Well, that's awesome. Now, are the ships assigned certain areas or regions? So we, in Mercy Ships, we really are just targeting Africa at this point. There's so much need on the continent of Africa alone. So we are just staying around the continent of Africa. Most of the years that we've worked in Africa, we've been in Western Africa and served many nations from, from Senegal on the far west coast of Africa, of Africa to uh, more central Africa over in the area where Cameroon and Congo uh, are and everywhere in between. We've made some trips down into the southern part of Africa, serving nations like Madagascar and South Africa. But our most heaviest investment has been in West Africa. Now, you mentioned the trips that they make. How long does that ship stay in the port? So do they go and just kind of dry dock for months? Or what does that look like? It's interesting, you know, that people would like to, to serve with Mercy ships and they envision sailing on a ship and going places and doing things. But ironically, our ships are quite often docked in a single port uh, for almost a year at a time. So our model is that we send the ships into the countries that we serve usually for about a 10-month deployment. And so the ship will arrive in a particular nation, dock in its port city, and remain docked in the exact position there for for almost a year, for usually around about 10 months. And then the ship always has to have a bit of, of technical work, repairs, maintenance, and those kinds of things in order to be compliant with marine law. So every year we have to take the ship in to our location where it can be maintenanced and surveyed. And that gives us an opportunity to, to move from one country to another and then start another 10-month field service in the next place. How many people are able to be helped to each port then? You mentioned a 10-month service time frame. What does that look like as far as how many people you're actually able to, to see and, and help process through in some way or another during that time? We do a, a few different kinds of projects that are all essentially related to, to medical care and surgery. So the ship has operating rooms on board. The Africa Mercy, the ship that we lived on, uh, had five operating rooms and ward capacity for patients to be uh, admitted and, and to stay residentially on board the ship as admitted patients. We could admit about 75 patients at one time on board the ship together with our crew and the others who live on the ship. So we're providing surgical care on board the ship for very kinds of specialized needs that people have. Uh, one need that, that many people would be familiar with here and around the world is, is cataracts, for example. Uh, we find in Africa that many people are, are disabled, they're blind due to very dense cataracts that have developed in their eyes. And so we can provide ophthalmological surgery, for example, and restore sight to those who have gone blind due to cataracts. That's a very simple operation that we don't have to admit many patients for. We can do the, many of those kinds of procedures, even as outpatient procedures. But many of the other kinds of surgery that we do, are, are more extensive and a, a very common birth defect all around the world, for example, is cleft lip and palate. Many babies are born every day with a cleft lip or a cleft palate or both. And those kinds of conditions are, are readily treated if, if a child is born in a hospital in our country, for example. But in Africa, there aren't as many surgeons and not as many hospitals that are capable of doing that kind of work. And so many children are born with that condition and then continue to live their life with the cleft lip or the cleft palate that they're born with. And so on board the ship, we can do what we call maxillofacial surgery to correct that deformity. And we treat babies and young children who have cleft lips or cleft palates. 
but we also treat patients who have lived into adulthood with that condition because they've never been able to find a physician or a hospital who are capable of doing that kind of procedure for them. In addition to the maxillofacial and the ophthalmological surgeries that we do, uh, we also do orthopedic work, uh, especially for children who have been born uh, with birth defects in their legs, congenital problems with their legs that need to be straightened out. We do that, and that allows children to run and play for the first time often. Um, We also do women's health surgery, meaning that we do vesicovaginal surgery for women who have become incontinent in childbirth. And that, of course, also restores women to a place in society that they were uh, marginalized from because of that condition. And then in addition, we do other kinds of general surgeries as well, according to the needs that we encounter and the professional skills of the surgeons who volunteer alongside of us. So that's a little bit about the surgical side of the work that we do. Usually when a ship sits in a place for, for 10 months in a row, then we're able to serve between 2,000 and 2,500 patients with our surgical program. So that's about, it depends on the the exact nature of the kinds of surgeries that we do, how extensive they are, how much recovery time is needed for each patient, but it's, it's usually somewhere in that range. And then in addition to the surgery that we're doing, then we also have discovered that a, a ship is a powerful platform for training. And there's many medical professionals all over the continent of Africa who desperately desire to serve their own country but lack opportunity to learn um, because there's so little activity for them to to be a part of. And so we have a program on board this ship, too, where we invite local healthcare professionals in the forms of doctors, uh, surgeons, nurses, anesthesia providers, uh, lab technicians to come on board the ship and to be part of our team in the hospital so that they can learn in a hands-on way about different kinds of procedures and different kinds of treatments that are available for patients to better equip them to serve their own countries. We also have some teams who go ashore and provide additional training away from the ship outside of our own surgical uh, units. We have some teams that go ashore and provide a variety of kinds of courses to, to medical professionals, again, involved in the surgical work in local hospitals to better equip them to provide surgery in the hospitals that they have. And we make those plans per each country, depending on the, the kinds of facilities that they have, the kinds of needs that they, that they have. And then we go in and make a custom plan for each country to provide additional training in that way too. That is awesome. The support that you not only provide for the people, but the, the country itself as you go in and, and help with teaching those courses and assessing them and just the uh, infrastructure and the renovations that need to be made. Now, what is that? You mentioned the healing and, and recovery looks a little different for each patient. Are they staying on the ship post-surgery? And if so, kind of what does that look like? Or are they then preparing to go into those hospital areas? So we don't refer our patients to local hospitals. The kinds of surgeries that we have uh, offered to provide are ones that we've chosen specifically because we feel that we can take care of those patients from the time that we admit them until the time that they have fully recovered from the, the kind of condition that they need help with. So we're not referring our patients for additional care to local physicians or hospitals. We don't want to create a burden uh, for those beyond what they're already carrying. So that's part of the reason why we've chosen the kinds of specialties that we offer. So as I said, there's a ward on board the ship where about on in the after mercy, for example, about 75 patients can stay at one time on board the ship. And in order to try to facilitate as many patients as possible, we do usually operate a little facility ashore as well in the in the country where the ship is located. 
And that way, if patients come and need to spend some time before their surgery, uh, for example, if a baby comes for a cleft lip and palate surgery, he may be undernourished and underweight. And so we may need that baby to put on some fat before he can he or she can have that surgery. And so we have a facility ashore where a mother and a baby could come and stay and, and get that baby fattened up for the surgery, for example. Or we may have patients that need a, a place to stay after their surgery because of the kinds of um, post-operative care that they need. For example, orthopedic patients require quite a bit of post-operative uh, rehabilitation. So those patients can also stay in the facility that we offer ashore and take as, many, as much time as they need for that recovery to take place. And sometimes for some of our patients, they, they may stay on board the ship and or at that facility ashore for months. So another kind of maxillofacial surgery that we do has to do with facial tumors. And if you log on to our website, mercyships.org, you would probably see some pictures of patients who have had big disfiguring tumors in their face and jaw. And we're able to remove many of those kinds of tumors but it takes quite a while for patients like that to recover with the post-operative surgery that they need to fully uh, restore the, the look of their face. So we can offer housing and accommodation for our patients for as long as they need. And we schedule our surgeries in such a way that the patients, we hope, will be fully recovered by the time the ship sails out of the country that they live in so that they are able to return to their home and need no further care after they've come to Mercy Ships. Wow. How do the people hear of the ship coming and, and what is the process for them to be seen and be treated? That's a good question. So a couple of things. For one thing, as I mentioned before, we've been operating in Africa now for, for about 30 years. The first mercy ship, the Anastasis, called the nation of Togo in 1992. And over the years since then, we've made return visits to many of these countries and so we've developed a bit of a reputation among the people and among the, the healthcare professionals in those countries. They know who we are. They know our credibility. They know the kinds of work that we're doing. And so there's a bit of word of mouth that takes place when a ship comes in. People know the kinds of things that we can offer. And so many people come forward in that situation. Um, we always send a, a team ahead of the ship to live in the country where the ship will be visiting. And that team can live there for quite a long time, um, up to you know a year or more, preparing for the ship's arrival. And so those the teams that we send in ahead of the ship work alongside the local healthcare professionals, alongside the church in that place, alongside the government to do some communication about the fact that the ship will be coming and the kinds of surgical procedures and the kinds of training opportunities that will exist with that. And, and we begin to create a list of the patients who need care and the, the persons who would like to be trained. And we have all that ready by the time the ship arrives. This has got to take a lot of volunteers. Uh, roughly how many volunteers does one 10-month service take? And, and are any of them permanent staff? There are many of us who are career missionaries, let's say, with Mercy Ships. But we rely on very many other volunteers who come and serve in a short-term capacity and our medical volunteers, especially nurses and doctors, many still keep jobs in the, the home country that they're from. And they will come and serve on board this ship for as little as two weeks up until the whole time the ship is sitting in a, in a country, maybe 10 months as volunteers. And so we have a blend of people serving on board every ship, some of whom are long-term career people with the organization and others are short-term volunteers. And all together, if you add all that up, it takes... About uh, 1,200 people throughout the year 
to work on board the Africa Mercy, for example, the ship that we just lived on. All of those people are not there at one time. The crew on board the ship at any one time is about 400 people, but many of them are coming and going. So it, it takes usually about 1,200 people to staff the ship for a year. And so with the Global Mercy, our new ship coming online uh, early next year, then we expect to to kind of need about double that. We think we're probably going to need about 2,500 volunteers per year to serve on board both ships at the same time. That is incredible. Now, the only organization that I've ever heard of that is remotely like this would be the Doctors Without Borders. I actually had a, a doctor I used to go to who served in that. How does Mercy Ships differ from some of these other organizations such as Doctors Without Borders? Well, I think the main unique thing that, that sets us apart as Mercy Ships is the fact that we are operating ships. Uh, Doctors Without Borders, there's many other mission agencies and uh, nonprofits who are working around the world to provide medical care. But I don't, I'm not aware of any other mission that are utilizing ships to provide health care. And it is a very complicated thing that we do, honestly, you know, because we have to operate a ship first and foremost in compliance with maritime law and regulations. On top of that, our ship is a hospital ship. And so it has to also adhere to to medical guidelines of the volunteers and the, the crew that are serving with us and also the host country who have invited the ship to dock in their port. And so that really makes us different than other medical missions. It makes us different than other shipping agents. It makes us different than other Christian mission organizations as well, that, we're, that we have all of these layers associated with the things that we're doing. So it really makes us a, a unique operation, but also really a special one. And it's just, yeah, it's really a privilege to have been associated with it for all these years. There is one other organization called Operation Mobilization that operates ships, as we do, but they don't provide medical care. Their ships are, are primarily used for evangelism. So I'm not aware of any other organization that's quite like us. Now, you mentioned those challenges of keeping up with running the ship and then, of course, the medical care you provide. Is there a biggest need for Mercy Ships right now or, or perhaps a bigger challenge that you haven't shared with us yet that you could enlighten us on? Well, I think the, the biggest challenge that we face at the moment is recruiting volunteer mariners. Of course, the maritime industry in general has, has been hard hit by the coronavirus pandemic. And it's always been a bit of a struggle for us to find qualified mariners to come and work and live on board our ships. Mariners are, are accustomed to living on board ships that are sailing the high seas most every day. And our ships are not sailing the high seas many days at all. And for a mariner to come and, and live and work on board one of our ships, uh, they forego the sea time or the, the practical training that they receive living on board ships that are at sea. And so it's, it's a hardship for them to come and serve with us because they don't get to go to sea very often as our ships are always docked in a port. But we really need, we have to have qualified mariners on board every ship uh, in order to comply with marine law and to take care of the ship the way that it should be uh, cared for. So it really is a prayer point for us that we would find um, godly men and women with maritime training who could come and work as deck officers, as the captain, for example, as engineers in the engine room, and to provide the kind of maintenance and repairs, the technicians that are needed to run a ship correctly are quite hard to find in today's world. Now, if our listeners are not in, in that field, then how may our listeners help? Mm -hmm. Do you do you have to be a medical professional or who can volunteer and what does that look like? You know, cost, accommodations, time commitment, so forth. 
So one of the things we haven't really talked about is the crew and the crew on board the ships are volunteers and they come from all over the world. They're not only American. Uh, we have a lot of Americans who serve on board our ships, but our crew come from every country. We have European volunteers. We have volunteers from Africa. We have volunteers from Asia and South America and from every conceivable place serving on board the ships in various terms of, of commitment. And so it depends on what your commitment is and how long you can stay and what services you're offering in terms of how long you're allowed to stay on board the ship, what it costs you to do that. Each person assigns a commitment depending on the, the skill that they're bringing. Um, so no, we don't just need medical professionals. For example, my husband and I, as you mentioned, we are not medical professionals. Uh, my husband and I are both trained as teachers actually. And so my husband has spent his entire Mercy Ships career working in the school that exists on board the ship for the children of the families who live on board the ships. And our crew includes families, married couples who have school-aged children who all live together on board the ship as a family. We have married couples who don't have children. Maybe they haven't had children yet. Maybe they're retired couples whose children have, have left their nest. But we have married couples without children, and we have single crew. So we have a whole variety of people serving on board our ships, again, for different commitment levels. A family, for example, would only come to the ship and live there on a, on a sort of permanent basis, meaning for at least a year or two, because, you know, you and I both are mothers of children, and we know what it is to take our family and, and to move to another place. That's a, that's a major commitment. And so we need our families to come and stay on board the ship for at least a year, for at least the time that the ship would be sitting in one nation in order to make that kind of commitment and to move everyone backwards and forwards. So our, our volunteers may come as a single, for example, it's, it's quite simple for a, a, a single volunteer to come and serve on board the ship for a short period of time and then return home. Others stay longer. Uh, so volunteers are responsible for the cost of their travel, wherever the ship is located from whatever country they come from. They take responsibility for their travel to get to the location where the ship is, and then they actually pay what we call crew fees, which is just a bit of a offering towards the, the room and board costs. And so crew don't receive any compensation for the service that they provide on board, whether it's in a long-term capacity or a short-term capacity. For each commitment, a person just would go onto the Mercy Ships website, mercyships.org, and listed on our website are all the different positions that are available and the time that's required in additional detail. So if listeners are interested in serving with Mercy Ships, you would just log on to our website and have a look at all the different kinds of commitments uh, that are possible, whether you be a teacher or a doctor or a captain or a cook or a computer technician. We need all kinds of different people in all kinds of different capacities. Are we able to look at sponsoring a volunteer? Is that an option on your website? Most volunteers, the way that they, they raise their support to do this kind of work is through their own personal network of contacts. They ask others to support them financially to serve on board the ship for their length of commitment. And so there's there I know for sure there's a way that a person can log on to the website and sponsor an individual person. I did like how there were plenty of options to get involved as far as like you mentioned the volunteering, but then also donating for, you know, surgery or support in the equipment purchasing or then a store that you have available on there had some great things, jewelry as well. Mm -hmm. So some some different yeah, opportunities absolutely. to take part in in being a part of helping Mercy Ships. That's great. Now, uh, we have a, a signature question here on Holly's Highlights. So where I would welcome you to respond as well. And that is, if you could go back and encourage and inspire or equip yourself as a child, 
what would you tell your young self? I think that's a great question. And of course, I'm a mother of young children as well. And, and so the question uh, challenged me even to think about it from the perspective of what would I want to say to my my own child? And I think in the, in the environment that we're living in today and all of the questions in the world associated with coronavirus and politics and so much tumult that exists in the world today. I, you know, I think what I would say is that God is at work in the midst of all of this. And I know it can be discouraging at times to look around our world and think, you know, what, what do I do? How do I help? What part do I have in all of this? But I can say that after having lived all over the world and traveled and been a part of many things, Uh, that I do see how God is at work in the midst of all of this. And he is still good and he is still on the throne. And the advice that I would give to my young self or my own children or to the children of those listening would be that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship with a, a plan made in advance for us. And so I would just challenge the listeners to say, what is God calling you to do today? And what would you... If I were to advise my young self, I would say, what, what, what is God calling me uniquely to do to serve him in such a time that he's, he's called us all to live? He's at work and he's got, a, he's got a kingdom that's on the move in our world. And so maybe the listeners out there are challenged to consider serving with mercy ships. Maybe it's in their own community uh, among people that they know. Maybe it's at home with our families and our children. That God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And so to my young self, I would say, what is God calling me to do uh, at this time that's unique in the eternal plan that he has for all of us? I like that. Worry, where can our listeners connect with you? My husband and I have a, have a personal website, which is brianandwarry.com. So my husband's name is Brian with an I, B-R-I-A-N. A-N-D spelled out. And my first name is Worry, W-A-R-R-I-E. So our website is brianandwarry.com. And Mercy Ships' website is mercyships.org. So listeners can also find out more about our mission there uh, or from our own personal website. It's all linked together. Perfect. I've got to tell you, serving on a mercy ship is truly on my bucket list now. So thank you so much for your time. But even more, thank you for the over 2 million people you have positively impacted through mercy ships and the over 100,000 plus surgeries that you all have performed and truly the difference you're making in transcending borders and changing lives. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me on the show and for your interest and your support of our work and that of your daughter and your dad. It's wonderful to partner with so many people around the world. Thank you for joining me on this journey of life. I hope that today's highlight has been encouraging, inspiring, and equipping so you can go out and live your life full of purpose. I'd be honored if you'd take a moment to leave a review or better yet, subscribe. We can also stay in touch by joining my email list at hollykirby.com. That's H-O-L-L-Y-C-U-R-B-Y.com. Until next time, make it a great day for a great day.